right, so we are going to be in John chapter 13, and we're going to pick right up in verse 12. We made it the last time I spoke. Uh, we had made it from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 11. Uh, so tonight, I want to pick up, and we're just going to kind of focus on and dr drill in on uh, verses 12 through 17. But if you've, if you've been around any amount of time when, when I've had the opportunity to speak, you know that us drilling into 12 through 17 really means that we're going to flip through about five different places in the Bible, and we're going to be all over the place, and we'll be like, ah, just like that in the Word. And then the Holy Spirit says, and then it all comes together. Ain't that right, Brother John? Brother John, you know you're sitting in the front. You're going to be my, you're going to be my target tonight, right? So don't get mad at me if I just call, call you out. Praise God. I got to make Brother John laugh because he's sitting up here mean mugging the whole time. So it's like when I start, if I can make sure that he laughs, and it's like, all right, the pressure is off because Brother John's not mean mugging me no more. All right. So, here's, so let's go ahead and start. I want to read through John 13, verses 12 through 17. And then we're going to do like a little cross-reference over to Luke chapter 22, right? And then we're just going to kind of get our landing point there. And then we're just going to kind of go through some other scriptures that will hopefully just make it all tie together. So John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17, it says, When he, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen. So... Again, we're picking up. So the last time I spoke, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 11, what I want to do is just kind of provide a little context so that we can, so that all our landing point verses here kind of make sense. But this time I want to add in a little bit from Luke chapter 22, which we didn't do last time. So what's going on here is we have said that at this point, Jesus is about ready to have the Passover feast with his disciples. So that's why they're in the, they're there together. It's him and his disciples, his 12, right? And so it says that, so we're probably at this point about 15 to 18 hours away from Jesus actually being arrested and then put on the cross, being nailed to the cross, okay. So that's kind of the context of what's going on here, right. So Jesus is with his disciples, they're about ready to celebrate the Passover feast. And I want to kick over to a parallel account of what's going on in Luke chapter 22 because it provides a little bit of detail that we don't see in John chapter 13 that I think helps provide a little more, that fleshes out a little more context to what's going on here in John chapter 13. And so, so in Luke chapter 22, I'm going to start at verse 14. I'm going to hit like a couple verses there, for, verses 14, 15, and then maybe kick down to... Um, couple verses towards the end, like verses 24, 25, things like that. And we'll kind of read through that. So what's going on here, it says, and then when the hour came, it says, he reclined the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
So here's what's going on, right? So Jesus is in this room with his disciples. They're about ready to partake of the Passover feast. And so he's even letting them know, he's telling them up front, like, man, I'm glad that we're able to have this time together to have this feast. I've been so looking forward to celebrating this Passover feast with you guys. And he says right here in verse 15, I've desired it with you before I suffer. So he's letting them know that he's about ready to suffer. And so if you go through and read through uh, the rest of those verses from 16 till, till about 23, then it, well, till about 21, then what's going on here is this is when Jesus in, initiates the ordinance of um, taking communion. Okay, so basically what he does is he says, hey, I'm glad we're having this Passover feast together. Praise God, I'm about ready to go suffer. And so what he does is he passes around the cup of the fruit of the vine or wine and he passes it around, tells them all to get a little bit. And then he takes the bread, he breaks the bread and he says, hey, hey guys, when I break this bread and you partake of this bread, this is, this is me breaking my flesh. This is me, I'm about ready to go to the cross and I'm about, my flesh is about ready to be broken on your behalf to pay the price for your sin. So then they're about, so then they all take the cup of the, take the cup that has the fruit of the vine in it. And he says, hey, when you partake of the fruit of the vine, when you partake of this cup, you're, that's you, you're going to be celebrating my blood being shed, my blood being poured out. When I'm nailed to the cross, my blood is being poured out on your behalf so that your sins will be forgiven, so that you can be saved, so that you can have forgiveness of sin and be restored into right relationship with God. So this is what's all is going on here in this upper, in this room with him having this, celebrating this feast. And so, and so he even tells them, he says in verse 21, I'm going to kick down to verse 21. It says, behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes and it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it would be who was going to do this. Verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Isn't that wonderful? That's awesome. Isn't that like a bunch of dudes? Like I totally like, I'm totally like picturing like, like the guys will know what I'm talking about. Kind of like the locker room talk when guys get together and everybody, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody just starts one-upping. Like the trash talk starts getting to flow here. Because looks what we want. So Jesus has already let them know I'm going to suffer. He's like, I'm going to suffer. Hey, me, this bread being broken, this blood, this cup of the vine, this like blood being poured out. That's so he is letting them know that some dramatic, sorrowful, heavy stuff is about ready to take place, right? And then on top of that, he even tells them that, hey, one of you that's sitting here among me is going to be the one that betrays me. So, man, this is some heavy stuff going on here, right? And so it says that they began to question among themselves who it was that was going to do it. And then a dispute broke out about who's going to be the greatest. What? So, here, so here's how I picture this in my mind. What I picture is, is here's these 12 dudes and they're all being like, one of us is going to betray you. I don't, like, man, is it, man, I know it's not going to be me. You know what? I bet it's going to be you. you I'm, I'm good, Jesus. You know that I'm good. Jesus, you know I am your guy. I got you to the wheels fall off, Jesus. We're ride or die. But him, I don't know about him. 
And then I could see him being like, what? What are you talking about? Don't you know that I'm true blue? Don't you know that I'm ten toes deep? Don't you know how sweet I am on Jesus? And then I could see John being like, don't you know that I'm the beloved? Don't you know that I'm the one referred to as the one that Jesus loved? Don't you know that I'm the one that puts his head on his bosom and nobody says anything? Like, you know what I'm saying? And so it turned, and so this whole thing about him being like one of you betraying turns into this stick my chest contest out to be disputing who's the greatest. I'm the man, I got you, Jesus. And so Jesus says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as one who serves? And so I want to tie that in to what we see going on here because remember we saw in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 11, if you see, if you read through that, the whole point of the text that's going on there, it says that they're about ready to partake of this feast. And what does it say Jesus does? It says that Jesus got up from his place, which would have been the place of honor because he is the rabbi, the teacher, master, Lord over this group, right? It says he took off his outer garment, tiled, wrapped a towel around his waist, and then he's the one that went and washed the feet of all of the disciples. And so if you remember what we had said last time, washing, the washing of feet would have been probably one of the most worst jobs that a servant could have had during that time. Because remember, they didn't have cars, they didn't have sweet Brooks running tennis shoes, they didn't have your, your fresh Air Jordans, they didn't have, you know what I'm saying? They had open-toe sandals, and you walked everywhere. And they didn't have paved roads, they didn't have sidewalks, it was crusty, dusty, dirt roads, where there would have been the same roads that packing animals would have been walking on, that people would have been walking on. So you're talking about having sweaty, grimy, cruddy, animal, whatever, infested, just feet. Have fun watching that, right? And so, and so culturally at this time, none of the disciples, it would, have, it would have not even been expected for any of the disciples to wash one another's feet. Now, it would have been right for them to wash Jesus' feet because he's the rabbi, he's the teacher, but not one of theirs. And so by Jesus taking off his outer garment, putting on his towel, and him being the one to go around and wash all of the disciples' feet, in essence, he was taking, he took on himself and performed the lowliest task that the lowliest servant would have performed on behalf of his servants. So that's why I wanted to kick over to Luke chapter 22 to see what was going on there. Because I could almost see it play out that he said this. There's this dispute like, oh man, I'm not going to be the one to betray him. I'm, gonna, I'm, the, I'm true blue. I'm, we're tight like glue. I know y'all know. Tight like glue, right, Brother John? Praise God. I'm in there with you, Jesus. So then they're having a competition over who's the greatest. And I could see them arguing about who's the greatest. And I could see Jesus getting up and taking off his garment and putting on the towel and wiping their feet and washing their feet and taking the place of the lowliest servant, performing the lowliest task amongst them while they're arguing about who's greatest. And then him sitting back down and saying, okay, if you want to be great, you need to be the least. And that's why we see here in, in verses 12 through 17, that's what he says. He, he does a, a comparison of greater, greater than to lesser than. 
He says, you call me teacher and Lord. And you're right. I am your teacher and Lord. So if I'm the teacher and Lord, if I'm the one who's discipling you and you're the disciples and I've washed your feet, what, what excuse do you now have to not go and do likewise? None. Because he says, I am the one who has set the example. I'm the one who has set the pattern now so that there is no excuse that any of us, that any of you as disciples should have to not be willing to self-sacrificially serve your brother or sister that's in Christ for any reason. Because I'll just wipe out all of the excuses knowing that Jesus is the one who is the ultimate serving of us by dying on the cross for our sins. Amen. Praise God. So with that, what I want to do is, is I want to kick over to, kick down to, I said over to because I was about ready to go to Romans 12. But I want to read John chapter 13 verses 34 through 35 real quick because it kind of encapsulate and rounds off what we just saw in 12 through 17 and Jesus providing this example of washing his disciples' feet. Jesus lets his disciples know, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples because you love one another as I have loved you. Wow, that's a, that's a, it's tight, but it's right, isn't it, Brother Jim? That is tight, but it's right, praise God. And so what I want to do now is kick over to, now I'm going to kick over to Romans chapter 12 because, because it provides this nice analogy, I think, of what the heart of what Jesus is getting at. And I'm going to read, start at verse 3 in Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to start at verse 3 and just kind of work my way down. So Paul starts off in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. He says, Further, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. See, he's letting us know off jump, don't get high up on your own horse. Stop reading your own press. Don't read your own mail. Self-assess and let's be realistic about where we're at, about where we, who we are and what we are, right? So he says, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophesy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, and the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I love that right there because he's given us this analogy of a body. And so in essence, what he's saying is, is that if you're in Christ, every single one of us that are in Christ is a part of Christ's body. And each one of us individually make up a member or a part of that body. Now, if you think about your own body, if any one part isn't working the way it's supposed to, what happens? A, that junk hurts like a mug, right? But then B, the other thing is, is there's other parts that have to work twice as hard to compensate for it, isn't it? And so now 
this leg is hurt, so now I'm putting all my weight on this leg. And so now you start wearing this leg out and it starts hurting worse because, right? And so it's saying that, so see how that ties into what Jesus is saying about serving one another and washing one another's feet symbolically and what he's talking about, that self-sacrificial, because, because he's saying right here that we're all individually members and parts of one another. And so, and so praise God, for me to be upbuilt and to be the person that I need to be in Christ, I need you. And I need you to be in Jesus. I need you to be following him. I need you to be serving. I need you based on the gifts that he's given you, the skills that he's given you, the sphere of influence that he's given you. I need you to be operating in that with where he's placed you at in the body because you doing that helps upbuild me. And then as long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and I'm where I'm supposed to be and I'm self-sacrificially giving myself to the church and teaching or whatever the case may be, then praise God, I can help upbuild you. And so on and so forth and so on. You see how that all works together? So we all need one another to be, to be doing, be where we're supposed to be, doing what God has called us to do, what he's gifted us to do, because it's not about us, it's about him, right? And so here's what I want us to, what I, what I want to kind of point in on, because notice what Jesus says is like, don't, don't think yourself great. If you think you're great, you need to become the least, right? And so what he's getting at here, so let's think about that, this with the body. Especially in our American culture, it's easy to create superstars. I, and I've done it. Oh, man, they're on, they're on the stage. So that because they're on the stage, that means they're sweeter in Jesus than I am. So they're up, they're up on a pedestal. They're higher in Jesus than I am. Wrong. Oh, man, they're on TV. Look at the platform that God has given them. This is when I was stupid young in Jesus. I was like, Lord, let me, Lord, give me the platform that that person, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, and God is like, it ain't about, it ain't about a platform. It ain't about being sweet like that person. It's not about being on stage or not being on stage. Praise God, what he's looking for is faithfulness. Because he's called each of us, so it's not about being a Christian superstar. It's about being faithful to the gifts that he's given you, to the sphere of influence that he's entrusted you with, and where he sets you in place, and then, being, and then just being willing to self-sacrificially give and serve and offer yourself and what he's given you and break that off to give to other people. And if we're faithful in that, that's all he's looking for. So I, so I promise you, I promise you, praise God, there, there's going to be people in heaven that I know that I know that I know, because we've got some that are in this room. I'm not going to call out their name. But there's people that I know that are like this in this room that will have that the crux of what you would say their ministry is, is, is scrubbing the toilet. For real, for real. And I, and, I, and I know without a shadow of a doubt, there's going to be people that's in heaven with a greater reward that was more faithful with their toilet than the person that than some of the people that are on TV with the biggest platform that millions of people know their name. Why? Because it's about God is looking at faithfulness 
and he's looking at the intention of our heart, and he's looking at the motivation behind why we're doing it. And so I could be up here on the stage doing all this great stuff, but if my motivation and my intention isn't right, then guess what that work is? Wood, hay, and stubble, and it's going to get burned up. But the person who's serving God from a pure heart that doesn't care whether they get seen or not, and they're just making sure that they're doing their part in the body of Christ to make sure that, they're, that the body is being upbuilt as best as what God has given them and gifted them to be able to do. And they're faithful with that. Jesus is like, come right here beside me, saint. Right? Man, praise God. Brother John, I just, I just preached half of my other sermon right there in that one little piece. I just messed up my whole verses and everything. Praise God. But does that make sense? All right, praise God. So now I'm going to, I got to keep, I got to keep, I got to keep it going here in Romans a little bit. Starting up at verse 9 because I started at verse 8. So let's hit verse 9 and I'm going to go through verse 16. Praise God. So it says, let love be genuine. Church is the one place that we need to come to and we don't need to be fake. I know, I've spent a lot of time making sure that I had my church face on. I've always came to church casual, so I can't say I had my church clothes on. But I've had my church face on where I'm blessed. How you doing? Blessed and highly favored. And on the inside, you feel like, right? So if I come in and I'm being fake, you asking me how I am and me telling you and you praying for me, God may have, given, had, may have had on you the gift of healing that you could pray for me and I would have received my healing that I would have needed. But because I'm too busy trying to make sure to put on my face and make sure everybody knows I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. That, let love be genuine. Let's, let's not be hypocritical. Let's not put on... You know what I'm saying? Like, let's not, we don't have to be fake, praise God, because the reason we don't have to be fake is because Jesus already went to the cross, so that already exposes us that, we have, that we're in need. So we're all on level playing ground at the foot of the cross. <laughs> Amen. So let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So I wanted to read that section of verses in Romans because it starts off with let love be genuine. The type of love that Paul is writing about here is not a love of ooey gooey feelings. It's not a chewy chips ahoy cookie. Okay. And the reason I say that is because culturally, culturally, what we see on TV, what we see on movies, what do we define love as? A feeling. And so because I feel like I'm in love, And then that produces, that causes me to want to act a certain way and do certain things for you. But then what happens as soon as I don't feel 
like I love you anymore. Oh, I guess we're out of, I guess we're out of love. Well, praise God. Because if you can fall in something, you can fall out of it. Praise God, that's not the type of love that Paul is talking about right here. Because I am thankful that we have a God that didn't fall in love with us so that he could fall out of love with us, right? What we're talking about here is the type of love that's the, that, that's the, the love of intentionality. And so what he's saying is, look at these commands, bless those who persecute you. I don't know about you, but I don't know that I would feel like loving someone that just persecuted me. Someone that just cursed me, I don't know that I would feel like loving them enough to bless them in that. But what can I do? I know that it's a command of Jesus, and so I know that, hey, to love my neighbor is to obey the commands of God. So I can ask God to help me, and Lord, I need your help. I need you to fill me with your spirit so that I can go and obey your command and actually bless this person. And so, Lord, while I'm praying, I'm going to pray for them now that they've cursed me. And so what we're talking about is the love of intentionality because sometimes you're not going to have a right feeling when it comes to obeying the word of God or self-sacrificially serving your brother or sister in Christ. You're not going to have a warm and fuzzy. And if you wait until you have a warm and fuzzy feeling, you're probably never going to get around to it. That's just real. So I'm just lobbing out here sometimes, all right, most of the time, right action will produce right feeling. So the type of love that Paul is talking about right here is, is that I love you enough that I'm going, that I'm going to be intentional in stepping out and doing what it is and self-sacrificially serving you. Even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to step out in obedience to God, asking him to help me, asking him to give me his grace, asking him to empower me by my Holy Spirit. And then as I go, somehow, shape, form, or the other, the feeling usually follows shortly thereafter. And then, it become, and then it does kind of become like, man, you know what? I do have this feeling of love for you, even though you just spitefully used me, even though you just cursed me, even though you just persecuted me, right? So praise God. Like, God is just awesome. And so, and so, so I just wanted to kind of show that because that's kind of, I've got my little, my little PowerPoint pieces here. And so we see Jesus talking about, he's given us the example of self-sacrificial giving and self-sacrificial love because he's given us a new commandment that we're to love one another as he has loved us because as we love one another, that's going to be the testimony to those outside that we have something that they don't. And they will know that we're his disciples. And so part of that is us being a body. And so individually, we're all one body in Christ, but individually, we all are a member. And so that means as an individual member, I have to self-sacrificially give of myself to make sure that I'm walking and doing with what God has given and entrusted to me so that I can make sure that I'm upbuilding those that are around me in Christ and that also too, praise God, I can be on the receiving end, right? Praise God. So me saying that reminded me of something. I'm going to read verse 17 in John chapter 13, verse 17. Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Notice that he didn't stop at if you know these things. Because I, I know for me a lot of times, because I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a reader, 
So I, so I really get a lot from, and the Lord really meets with me from like reading, uh, studying materials, things like that. So that's how, he, that's how he's kind of wired me. So I can very easily read the text and get a, the Holy Spirit just kind of minister to me through that. And you know how sometimes the Holy Spirit will just kind of like bless you and minister you and you're like, you know what I'm saying? Like the Pillsbury, like you just get that good feeling, right? And so it's easy for me to get that good feeling and think that I've done something. But Jesus says, if you know these things, but he didn't stop there. And notice that he didn't say that, hey, you're blessed if you're always on the receiving end of being served. Is that what he said? He said the only way that you're going to be blessed is if you know these things, if you know the example and the pattern that he's given of self-sacrificial service and love of our brothers, and then actually do it. Blessed is the one who does it, not who always is receiving. That's what I like is receiving, and not just because you know it. Praise God. Jesus is calling us to be people of the tower. And if every single one of us picks up our towel, then every single one of us is going to be upbuilt and blessed by the Father. Because if you've got your towel on and I've got my towel on, there's no way that at some point we're not going to get to each other to be able to wash each other's feet. Amen. Praise God. All right, so now I want to kick over to James chapter 2. What time is it? See, I got my watch on tonight, so I'm doing good. Praise God. All right, so James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, stand over there, sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So I wanted to read those verses right there because there should, because as people of the towel, Jesus has set the example that there should be no partiality or discrimination in our serving. If, some, if, I, if we have a brother and sister in Christ, it, does not regard, it doesn't matter what their color is. It doesn't matter their class. It doesn't matter their socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter their ethnicity or their cultural background. Jesus pulled, put his towel around. He even went around and wiped Judas, washed Judas' feet knowing that Judas was the one to betray him. So that's why Jesus could say, as I have done to you, you need to go and do likewise. And he's the greater. He's the master teacher. And we're the disciples. And so he, so he let us know there should be no partiality in our service. And so what, I wanted to, so what I really wanted to hit at that is, is that there should not, like if we have, and when I say we, notice I got a finger here and then I've got my crooked thumb and three other fingers pointing back at me, right? So that thumb's pointing at me. If we think to ourselves that, yeah, I see that person struggling a little bit, but you know what? They're a little too dirty. I'm a little too good to go over there and talk to that person. That's not being a person of the towel. 
Or maybe Jesus is showing you, like, hey, this person needs help with this task. And I know it's, it's easy to get caught up in, that's not my job anymore. I've matured. I've got too, much, I've got too many skills. I don't need to do that anymore. Well, maybe Jesus is saying, I want you to help this person, and I want you to do this lowly task. And it's not because you're not, not because you don't have skills and I'm trying to teach you, but it's because if you want to be great, you need to be the least. And so let us not get so stuck on ourselves that we think that we're too good to help any person or that we're too high to be able to help with any task or perform any job that we would need to do in service to our brother and sister in Christ. No partiality, no favoritism. Right? All right, so this last one, so this is my last little beep, beep, beep. So that's so that's so we have so we have so if we're going to be people of the towel, if we're going to be self-sacrificially giving, loving one another as Jesus has loved us, then we have our that we're individual members of the body, and we all need to be about doing what God has gifted us to do, so that we all are in the process of having our towel on and coming in our assembly ready to help upbuild one another, and not just always be receiving ourselves. Right? We also have seen from the text up to this point no partiality. We can't think that we're too good, we can't think that we're too high, or that somebody else is too low, or that that job is beneath us. That's, we can't be that person either if we want to be people of the towel and follow Jesus' example. And then for Matthew 6, I'm just going to ding these out real quick. In Matthew chapter 6, and I've already touched on this a little bit, but I want to drill in a little bit more with it. Jeez, what did Jesus say? He says, when you pray, don't do what you, what shouldn't you do? When you pray, don't go out on the, don't go out on the corner and blow your horn. When you do righteousness, when you give, give alms to the poor, don't do, 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 do. Don't, hump, don't blow your horn. Don't make sure that, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, because there's people like, hey, man, I make sure that everybody sees this service that I'm doing. Make sure everybody sees how much I'm giving. Oh, man, look how sweet I am on Jesus that I just prayed. Oh, man, I've been fasting, so let me, let me suck him. Oh, I've been fasting. He warns us against that. Why? Because that gets into motivation. So what's the motivation behind our service? I can promise you that what Jesus is saying, that if you, that if you self-sacrificially give, but it's with the intent and motivation to make sure that everybody around you saw it and that people knew that you self-sacrificially give, you just got your reward. There will not be treasure laid up in heaven for you on that one because you just got your reward because you made sure everybody knew. So I'm going to tell on myself, I was probably in my 20s. That was a long, long time ago, praise God. I used to sit in the front row just like Brother John does at church because, I mean, I was hungry for Jesus. I was hungry for God. Boom, I'm in the front row, right? So here's what happened to me, though. So I'm up in the front row, so the worship music would be going, so here I am up in the front. So I'm worshiping Jesus with everything that I have, right? And so slowly but surely what crept in on me was, is you know what, I need to be an example to all those people to let them see how sweet I worship Jesus. Because maybe if they see how sweet I'm worshiping Jesus, they'll worship Jesus as sweet as I do, right? So then slowly, slowly but surely, me sitting in the front, 
And worshiping God had nothing to do with worshiping God, but having other people see how sweet I worshiped him so they would worship him sweetly as well. And I remember it as clear as day that I don't want to say God spoke to me, but I felt an impression in my spirit. I felt an impression that I believe was the Holy Spirit ministering to me, go to the back. And that was 20 years ago. And he ain't let me come back up to the front since. Because I know me good enough. I know me good enough if I sit in the front, if I sit in the front just for my own because, because some of y'all have been here long enough, where am I usually at? In the back. And some of that's on purpose because I know if I sit in the front, I'm going to do this. And I, love, and, I, and I love Jesus enough and I want to honor him enough that when I worship him, I want it to be from the right spirit and a pure motive and not so that I can be seen. And so I share that story so that as we give, as we minister, as, as we self-sacrificially serve one another, let us not get caught up in, did somebody see me? Did I get recognition? Did I get a notice? Man, nobody gave me a pat on the back for that. Nobody said thank you. Did Jesus say that you would get a thank you? Did Jesus say you would get a pat on the back? Nope. You know what he did say, though? You'll be blessed. By him, my joy will be made complete in you. You will have treasure in heaven. Amen. All right, so let's see. I know I'm getting close to landing here now. So that's kind of my three points here, to love one another as Christ has loved us, self-sacrificial, serving and giving, that that looks like being the body where each individual member, so I have to be making sure that I'm in Christ doing my part, what he wants me to do, having my towel on so that I can serve. And if all of us have our towel on serving, then all of us will be upbuilt. All of us will be blessed. Praise God. We've also seen from the text that, praise God, that he's gifted us. That, man, there shouldn't be any partiality in that. We shouldn't think that we're too high. We shouldn't think that there's anything that's too low that, should, that would keep us from serving or doing a job or whatever the case may be to bless one of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we also have seen that it's all about our motivation and intention, the intentions of our heart. And it ain't about being seen by anybody but Jesus. And so with that, where I want to land at, is I'm just going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. It says, He, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him, God the Father, who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So if you're here tonight and you've been hearing us talk a lot about serving Jesus and serving one another in love and self-sacrificial giving, I want to implore you, if you're here tonight, and you don't really know who this Jesus is, you know that you've never called on the name of Jesus, you know that you've never entrusted yourself to God. I wanted to read these verses because I just want to show you how beautiful Jesus is because as much as he's encouraging us and commanding us to love as he's loved us and to self-sacrificially give and serve one another, he did it first. 
And he was the ultimate sacrifice. He gave up the ultimate, paid the ultimate price because it says that he who committed no sin bore our sins in his body on the tree and that by his wounds you have been healed. So because Jesus lived the perfect sinless life, Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself on our behalf and serve us by being nailed to the cross so that as he shed his blood and his blood was poured out on our behalf, we can receive forgiveness. We can be made whole again. We can have a restored relationship with God that we didn't have before and will never have outside of Jesus. And by his stripes, by his wounding, by him being nailed to the cross, we are healed spiritually. We are made whole in that we're made and right, put in right relationship with God again through Jesus. So if you're here tonight and you've never called on the name of Jesus, or as it says here in the text, if you've never entrusted yourself to God, if you've never turned away from the, you, your way of doing life, if you haven't turned away from sin and said, I'm going to turn to God through Jesus, then we want to give you that opportunity tonight. And when the worship team comes up, they'll play, and we'll have some prayer workers at our tables that you can come up and talk to if you'd like. The altar will be open if you just need to do business between you and Jesus. So I do want to encourage, if you've never called on the name of Jesus, I hope, I hope the Holy Spirit just made him beautiful in your sight so that you call on him tonight. But I also want to, to encourage the saints here tonight is notice what it says here. It says in verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So the grounds, the grounds of our salvation is Jesus and him crucified. But the goal of our salvation is that he wants us to be dead to sin and to live for him in righteousness. And so what I want to encourage us tonight is, is let us be people of the towel and not be people of the bib. Because a bib is what? A bib is what a baby wears. That always needs to be served. And so what Jesus is calling us to, hey, I was nailed on the cross, not so that you could perpetually keep your bib on and be a babe, but it's time for you to grow up in me and become a person of the towel.